0: Coming up on modern veterinary practice. We we are you know, in a in a, a wonderful state of technology where you are held back by your imagination, rather than by what you can do, and you know that that's only really happened in the last ten years. But you you think of anything you want to do, you know, in terms of tracking people, in terms of reaching people, in terms of communicating with clients, in terms of sending out personalised messages. All of these things can be done relatively easy, and there's so, there's stable, good software out there
1: that can do it. Welcome to Modern Veterinary Practice. I'm your host and veterinary IT expert, Jack Peplow. On this episode, I'll be talking to veterinary marketing guru, Paul Green, about the power of an inbound marketing strategy and why vets should be adopting it and how to get started. I'm also gonna take a few minutes to talk about the importance of updating old IT equipment. Not the most exciting subject, but I promise it'd be worth a listen. So let's dive straight in. Old IT equipment, oh, I hear you mutter. Well, just bear with me here. The majority of the practices that were asked to come in and help all have the same issue their IT is outdated. And we get it, it's just not a priority when compared to ensuring that the imaging devices are up and running or fixing the sterilizers. These are critical to your practice functioning and the care that you give your furry friends on a daily basis. But there are multiple levels of risk that old IT equipment and software poses to your practice, all of which can have a serious damaging effect on the veterinary practice. Things such as downtime, preventing delivery of patient care, damage to practice reputation, costs, whether direct to the practice or from lack of revenue, impact on team performance, or even client frustration. Simply put, out-of-date software leaves you extremely vulnerable to cyber attacks. And just because you're a small business, it doesn't mean that you're exempt from this rule. Over 43% of cyber attacks are aimed at smaller businesses like veterinary practices. In fact, 99% of the vulnerabilities exploited have been known by security and IT professionals for at least a year, yet remain unpatched. That's a staggering statistic. Much of the software and hardware that you will use will have updates available on a regular basis. This means that 99% of breaches are avoidable just by keeping your systems up to date. You know, those pesky Windows updates that you keep ignoring. Technology is advancing at an unprecedented rate so it's easy, especially in the veterinary industry, where you're under such pressure caring for your patients, to keep on top of how old your IT equipment is, or to remember to update it every week. But out-of-date systems run slowly, so it's likely that your system's performance will be impacted, affecting your team, your clients, and your patient care. Finally, your practice makes use of lots of different types of equipment, which may need to integrate with your IT systems to enable them to work. For example, you need your imaging devices to sync with your pack so you can view the images, And your PMS, such as Merlin, RoboVet, Assisi or Animana, to name but a few, has to be able to work within the operating systems your practice has. The danger with out-of-date software and equipment is that the other companies may stop supporting it too, which means it may not be compatible with the latest versions of veterinary software and equipment that you currently have, affecting your practice's ability to offer the latest treatments to your patients. So, as you can tell, reviewing and updating old IT equipment should definitely be pushed to the top of your to-do list. But don't worry. If you're not technically minded, ask for the help of an IT expert. Any good IT support company should be able to guide you through this process
0: and could even complete it for you if you'd rather focus on caring for your patients. The Interview. Hi, my name's uh, Paul Green and I used to be a veterinary marketing expert uh, sometime in the past. I've been uh, a marketing expert for about 10, 15 years and I ran a business called Vets Practice Growth UK, which I sold back in 2016. And that was pretty much when I stopped working with vets. But for around about eight to 10 years, I worked with vets all over the UK, helping them with their marketing. And I have to say, I think veterinary is just, I mean, it's, there's been so much change in this sector, In the, you know, even in the small number of years that I've been involved in it. But it's just such a wonderful sector to work with from a marketing point of view, because most vets are rubbish at marketing. And that creates opportunities for practices in every single area. Cool. Paul, well, it's
1: great to have you on the show. Really appreciate you taking time out of your day to sort of get on, uh, get on the podcast. Um, so I thought I'd start with... Um, picking up on your marketing expertise and history of working with vets and really wanted to get your insights into the veterinary world and their current
0: marketing practices, especially considering you just said that they're really rubbish at it. Yeah, so it's, I mean, that, that saying a statement like that, which is a slightly provocative statement, is, uh, <laughs> is, is just based on, on pure experience of having worked with vets. So most, most practice owners and managers and the vets themselves are obviously great clinicians, huge amounts of passion for the animals and sometimes for the people involved with those animals as well, and generally very good at running incredibly complex businesses. However, they're not great at marketing. And by marketing, I mean consistent, systematic marketing where you're doing stuff day in, day out to attract new clients. You know, let's be honest, most, most veterinary practices have it really easy, which is they open their doors, they put something on Facebook or Instagram, and along comes some animals and uh, they make some money, which is great. But there's a lot more to marketing than, than just attracting new clients. There's keeping clients, there's selling them onto the health plan, there's, you know, doing special things like targeting, for example, pugs, French bulldogs, you know, with all of their unique problems and, and, you know, talking to people and educating them about the problems they could have and the, the you know, the, the potential um, uh, preventative procedures that could stop these animals getting into trouble. And all, all of this is marketing. You know, if you think of any communication with a client, if it's not directly about something that's happening to their animal, it's all of it is marketing. And I see, you know, practices, uh so it's been it's been um four years since I, I sold my, my, my veterinary marketing business. And I have kept in touch with a number of practices. Just doing a little bit of consultancy work and stuff, but you, you know, I've, I still see practices doing things the really old-fashioned way. You know, I still see practices asking, "Should we really be text messaging clients?" And it's like, oh my goodness, we're, we're past that now. We're <laughs> WhatsApping people. You know, we're 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 automating all sorts of, of clever things between the the PMS and all the systems that are out there. And I think the the UK veterinary world as a whole is is just. Uh, I, I was going to say a little bit behind, but behind isn't quite isn't quite the right word. Hasn't perhaps in, embraced marketing technology and all the things that you can do in the way that uh, many other sectors have. And it's been really interesting as um, obviously the consolidation of the market has has sped up and sped up to see you know slightly better marketing coming in, and some of the big chains are are doing slightly be- better marketing. But there's no you know there's no one. Group uh, that's doing marketing absolutely brilliantly in the UK right now, and and I do think in virtually all marketplaces there there are massive opportunities both for the independent practices that are left, but also for some of the big corporate players as well.
1: Yeah, no, I mean I was going to pick up on your point with regards to um, the, the the fact that the the marketing isn't great; they haven't sort of fully adopted it um, and run with it, and and I mean. Uh, Partially, I feel that that's kind of down to, you know, the fact that they are extremely busy people, you know, there's a lot going on uh, in their worlds. But also, I sometimes feel like it's a technological limitation as well. Um, You know, picking on technology, picking on specifically PMS um, systems, because I mean, I'm not sure if you found this with um, your experience with working with vets, but they sort of very much resound and, and and focus all their efforts around their PMS systems and kind of expect this one platform to do absolutely everything, rather than venturing out and seeing what the other platforms are out there. Would you say that's the case?
0: Hundred percent, completely agree. And I think the the everyone's in a very difficult place because the the, the people that um, develop the practice management systems, um, they are in a difficult place where their clients want. the the system to do a thousand things and you know, it's, it's quite hard to program one piece of software to do a thousand things very well. Um, the, the, but they, they then also make, their, make the lives difficult for the vets by not allowing something called APIs, which stands for Application Programming Interface. So you'll know more about this, Jack, because you're a technical <laughs> person, but it basically allows one piece of software to talk to another. And, you know, we, we, in the, the world of software, the vast majority of software that you use these days has APIs, and those APIs will talk to other bits of software. And you've even got services like Zapier, which will happily sit in between two pieces of software, so you don't even need to get a developer to, to get two pieces of software to talk. Zapier does the hard work for you. None of these are perfect, but you, you can generally get two systems, pretty much any two systems to talk to each other, apart from veterinary PMSs. Now, I'm <laughs> I'm four or five years out of date, so I don't know if this has changed in the last few years, Jack, but the vast majority of practice management systems don't have APIs because the, for so far as I can see, the, the practice management system operators don't want the, the the practices, you know, connecting things like Mailchimp and text messaging software and and all these other clever tools up to the practice management system because they see that as a revenue stream. So we've yeah. kind of got it's it's almost the the perfect storm where the software cannot do everything the vets want, and there are solutions out there for the vets, but but they don't link to the practice management system. So you end up with some kind of half. Uh, well i guess kind of bot- botching it together kind of solution which is not perfect for anyone and i think that's probably one of the things that stops vets from looking around and trying new things however having said that we we are you know in a in a, a wonderful state of technology where you are held back by your imagination, rather than by what you can do, and you know that that's only really happened in the last ten years. But you you think of anything you want to do, you know, in terms of tracking people, in terms of reaching people, in terms of communicating with clients, in terms of sending out personalized messages. All of these things can be done relatively easy, and there's so, there's stable, good software out there that can do it. I think that there's going to have to come a point for for some practices where they say, right, we can't integrate this with the PMS. That's Pain, so we're going to have to put in place a little bit of manual shuffling around of data from one system to the other, but the advantages of that far outweigh the disadvantages.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, and I think we're starting to see a little bit of a change. I mean, the technology op- adoption since uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has, has been vast. I mean, I've never seen sort of the veterinary market move so quickly and adapt uh, to the current situation, which has been great to see. And I'm kind of hoping that um, this will continue on beyond COVID um, so that where, you know, they've got this this hunger, this this potential drive, Um, And they've seen what technology can do with regards to, you know, things like telehealth platforms. You know, I'm really hoping that that vets will sort of continue on this path and on this journey and look at other areas within their business where they can potentially improve and, and, you know, marketing being a a really key area. Um, So one thing I really wanted to talk to you about was um, one key challenge that I, I consistently hear on other podcasts, looking on the web and speaking to clients. And that's Dr. Google. Um, So I I saw a really interesting survey conducted by Bayer, um, and it actually highlighted that 77% of pet owners consult Google for medicinal information rather than their vets. What's even worse was that 39% of people claim they consult Google when their pet is ill before going to the vets. I think that's crazy. Um, Now, uh, again, I know that this is a problem that they're aware of, But more importantly, how could they address this issue?
0: So essentially you're asking me, how do we stop... Uh, millions of people behaving in a way that they've got used to behaving over the last 10 years. Unfortunately. Mm, that's, a, that's, a, that's a toughie, that is. So I, I don't think we're ever going to, I think that the, the genie's out the bottle with Dr. Google. And, mm. you know, it's not just animals, is it? We all do it with our own personal health. I, I can't imagine what a nightmare it must be for a GP to sit there and have someone come along and say, I've got these symptoms and I've, got, I've Googled it and it's one of these three diseases. Um, and, I, and I know that happens to, to vets as well. I, I think the, 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 You've almost got a constant educational thing there of, of educating your clients that um, Google is only one side of the story, and the reason that vets, you know, spend years and years studying and, and have the, the the CPD and everything else is because it's not just taking those symptoms and putting them into the Google machine; it's actually interpreting it and looking at the context of you know what what the animal is presenting and telemedicine almost doesn't help with that in a way because it no. you know as much as I appreciate I think the vast majority of vets would rather physically see the animal in front of them you know telemedicine is is almost an extension of the google machine it's just a bit more personalized advice than than actually what google's coming up so i don't think we're ever going to be able to change people's habits however what we can do and what a, a number of veterinary practices will be able to do is actually to become dr google and there's a there's a marketing strategy that i know you're familiar with jack and it's called they ask you answer and this is actually based on a book Uh, which I thoroughly recommend every single practice owner and manager gets. It's a book by a guy called Marcus Sheridan. Now, I'll give you the 60-second overview of the book. And as I'm doing this, you're going to hear words like swimming pools, marketing companies. I want you to scrub those words out of your head and imagine veterinary practice because I've never read a book that is more suited to veterinary marketing than this one. So Marcus Sheridan, who is an American guy, uh, about uh, 13, 14 years ago, he had a swimming pool installation company somewhere in the States. And they were spending a lot of money on paid traffic to try and generate enough leads. And you know, they had the same problem. Most small businesses did. They were running around doing lots of work. He would go and see, you know, five or six sales appointments a day, which involved 10, 12 hours of driving, but he'd only convert one of them. And essentially, they they just couldn't generate business fast enough in that business to cover the costs. And he and his business partners were going to lose their houses because of the debt secured on it. And it sounds like a complete nightmare. And he switched to a different kind of strategy, which is, look, instead of... Um, just trying to uh, uh, constantly be doing what we, what we call outbound marketing, where you're physically doing all the effort. Let's see if we can do some inbound marketing and attract people to us. And he came up with the concept of what is now called and known worldwide as They Ask, You Answer. And he's how it kind of started was was he said, what are the most common questions that people are asking us? Now, for swimming pool installation, there's a surprising number of questions that people ask. I guess before you about spend $40,000 on having some, you know, a couple of blokes and a digger dig a hole in the ground, you, there are things you want to know about that. So he started to write incredibly long, in-depth content answering the questions that his prospects were frequently asking him. So they, he, he would track over a period of time that they were the same questions. And remember, I said here to, to think about this as a veterinary. I want, I want you now to just think what are the common questions that your pet owners ask you? And, and we'll come back to that in a second, because actually, the vast majority of questions are the same thing. In fact, the 80 20 rule will apply um, when it comes to, to, to those kind of questions. So he, he um, developed this long term, long form content. Really, I mean, we're talking two, 3,000 word articles on the website. They moved into video, they moved into infographics. And over a period of time, what happened was wherever anyone in the States typed in a specific question, for example, should I have a fiberglass pool or should I have a vinyl pool, which are two different types of pool... Typically, more and more, his website was coming up as the answer. And he developed this into an entire strategy and the culture, a way of running the business where you, you, as a business, you focus on educating the prospect, not selling to them. And then what happens along the way is as long as you've got some good sales processes in place, they end up buying from you and in fact it's it's turned that company around so much that they are now a manufacturer of swimming pools with a distribution network across the whole of the states and of course they they're generating you know thousands of leads a week which they're passing on to their to their distributors so i mean they've done very very well out of it and it's explained incredibly well in layman's terms in the book they ask you answer so how would this Um, And he's gone on now to develop a marketing agency using exactly the same strategy. And he talks in the book about lots of different types of sectors. And as I I was, I I only read this book this year. My God, I wish I'd read it years ago. (laughs) Um, And as I was reading it, you know, I I, I do think back sometimes about the the veterinary world I left behind when I sold the business. And I had a non-compete, which is why I had to get out of veterinary. And the, you know, as I was reading it, I was thinking, there's an opportunity here for a practice to implement this because to the best of my knowledge there are no vets in the UK doing this mm-hmm. and by doing this i mean you you look at the questions that ordinary pet owners ask and you position yourself as doctor google so for example and, and i said about the 8020 rule you, you know that's the pareto principle that 80% of pet owners sorry um, 80% of the questions asked by Hang on, I've got myself confused here. 20, 20, <laughs> basically, the, the vast majority of questions asked by the vast majority of people will be the same. Yes, you know, So how many times do pet owners ask, do I really need to worm my dog every year? And you, you probably give the same 12-second answer that, that, you give, you know, that you've always given. But actually, wouldn't that make a fascinating 2,000-word article? And you might think, well, there's no way I could write 2,000 words about that without getting clinical. But actually, there is. The, you know, if you were to sit, and if we were to sit now, we had a, a couple of competent vets on, and we sat talking about it and and discussed it in great detail. We we generate five to ten minutes worth of audio, which which itself becomes you know a thousand, two thousand word article. Um, if you look at um, uh, you know again, what are the most common questions that people are asking? Why why do I why does senior cats need to see a vet more often? Um, what are um, uh, be another question you know what what's um, why why should what why why should i um you know why should i take my what what are the most common symptoms i should look out for in my in my pet yeah and um we're not talking here about specific condition questions i'm aware there's things like susie samuel's um, symptom checker um which you know a lot of vets have on their practice i think that that satiates that that need for that but we're talking here about capturing their most common questions literally when you're in the in the, you know in the in the consulting room um, writing down on a bit of paper, oh, that's a question I hear all the time. Yeah, that's the kind of common question. Writing it down and then finding someone, if you can't do it yourself, finding someone to generate that content for you. And actually Marcus Sheridan suggests that you employ a full-time content manager to, to, to do just that. Now that's going to be over the top for a lot of practices, but yeah. you know, for, for an independent with, with some resource or for one of the corporates, that's going to be an enormous um, opportunity, because what you do is you you flip things around. Then, so instead of you going onto Facebook and Instagram and and constantly advertising looking for people, and there still needs to be an element of that. If if someone's first initial reaction when there's 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 an issue with their pet is to Google it, and your practice comes up high, and you can see how one of one of the corporates would would should be all over this. Uh, because they would benefit the most from it, because they've got the biggest distribution network. If someone's going to Google and and do that and get onto your website, the chances of them booking an appointment with you is dramatically higher than if than if you've you've tried to to go and look for them on on Facebook or Instagram. So you need to have elements of both. You still need to have a, a really good website that that converts visitors to you know to appointments to bookings. There's a whole series of things that need to be in place, but as a, as a core concept, it and it's a long term commitment. This is not a this is not a three month project. This no. is this is a five to ten year commitment to saying we're going to have a website with a thousand pieces of content on it. You know, we're going to have the best veterinary. Uh, um, resource the ve- the very best veterinary layman's resource in the world. Um, who cares if people in Australia end up on our website getting information about their pets? That doesn't matter because what we're what we're trying to do here is we're we're trying to dominate, and and this would lead to domination. We're trying to dominate the the mar- you know the, the the world of marketing for veterinary, and it and it would make a practice or a small group of practices completely untouchable from a marketing point of view. Because there's one thing that will never change with Google, and that is that it loves content. You know, Google was founded originally more than 20 years ago to organize the world's content better than the search engines of the time, which if you remember, it was things like AltaVista and Ask. (laughs) And, you know, it seems crazy now when we think about how they used to have humans curating those search engines. Google came along and and did it so much better. And Google has changed beyond recognition and and will continue to change beyond recognition. But the pure search engine, Oh, have I just set off my uh, Google Assistant? On my, on my Pro, <laughs> I that's love funny. that. Yeah, well, it's creepy though. She's listening. I d- I don't say Alexa's name. No, no, don't say that because um, that's no, no, off that. in my office. <laughs> um, but the the well, there's there's a great example. You know, Google, I've I've paid Google money to have um, speakers all dotted around my house and I've done that for a number of different reasons but maybe the way I interact with with her in in you know in, in 5 years time will be more through voice than it will through typing things we're already going that way we can all see we're going that way with Siri and and uh, you know the the two ladies we've just mentioned um, but the thing that will never change is, is content, you know, that the people are always going to want to dive into content. And one of the things they talk about in, in they ask you answer is how, when people are seriously at the research phase, and people do this with their pets, more than they do with anything else, because their pets are like their children, yeah. they will consume vast, I mean, huge amounts of content. Um, one of the examples in the book is where some uh, a, a couple who were thinking of buying a swimming pool consumed between them 320 pages of content and the author knew this because they were using tracking software on the website. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if you had a veterinary site that was packed with content and it was about, you know, older cats, for example. I used to have cats. And when our cats got older, you know, we, we looked things up and we talked to our vet and we did everything that our vet said. And we joined the health plan and got the insurance and went to the senior vet, cat, cat clinics and all of that kind of stuff. You know, responsible pet owners—the people who are compliant with you—exactly the kind of clients you want—are exactly the kind of people that will hoover up content off your website. So I think this is this is a this is a massive opportunity. But the reality is, we every single practice owner in the UK could be listening to this, and still only a tiny majority will take action on it. So I think that's why I think you know it would be so exciting for for the few that, that actually go and do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's only getting um, sort of more prominent now. I mean, um, you know, with the market, the target market or the, the veterinary practices, target markets changing um, with the introduction of millennials or you know, consistent millennials and introduction of generation Z growing up with things like technology, um, you know, they they actually absorb a huge amount of content. Again, sort of read up on a, a really interesting survey that uh, Adobe conducted um, around sort of average content consumption per generation and how it's increasing. And I believe millennials on average spend 8.5 hours a day consuming content whilst Generation Z are consuming 10.6 hours that's a 25% that's increase yeah, and it, I mean insane. it's scary because I'm in that bracket and I can't believe <laughs> that I would be consuming that much content but it just hits home how important um, how the sort of they ask you answer methodology and um, you know inbound marketing how how important it's going to become um, and how you know vets someone really needs to jump on this <laughs> it seems yes. like a great opportunity but no that's fantastic thank you very much
2: recommended reading.
1: Every week we ask a veterinary professional to suggest a book that might resonate to our listeners. And this week's recommendation is from Andy Edwards, an accredited behavioral psychologist who helps professional practices understand that the real currency of business is relationships.
2: About oh gosh, 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, came across a book um, called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It sounds quite a negative title, doesn't it? The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Lencioni. Um, th- the reason why it's such a good book is because it's a good read. It's it's like it's a story. It's a story of a brand new leader who comes into a highly competent set of people, her team. Uh, her name's Catherine, and they're highly competent individually, but they are not playing nicely together. From a behavioral point of view, that team is utterly dysfunctional. And Catherine, the leader, comes in. And it's a parable, like I said, it's a story. And you can't can't put it down because one of the chapters finishes, but nobody realised what was going to happen next. And you can't help but carry on. So it's it's quite an exciting read in many ways, but highly informative. And Catherine comes out with five basic dysfunctions that stop a team achieving what a team can. Um, Just a spoiler alert, it starts with trust. And uh, she goes, it literally goes on how she worked out how to make sure this group of people trusted each other in order that the other four dysfunctions were obviated such that they worked together brilliantly. It's a great read. I, recommend, I always tell people, if you're not a reader, read the first 18 pages and put it down.
1: Coming up next week, we'll be talking to Vet Dynamics' Alan Robinson about the spectrum of human potential what it is, how to achieve it, and what is holding vets back.
2: In veterinary, we've got a particular circumstance. We are really regard as frontline workers. We haven't stepped back from COVID. We've actually stepped into it. We're massively trying to maintain and manage our PPE and you know, COVID security in our practices. Um, and we're having to still deal with all the stuff we had prior to COVID. We've got to deal with clients, we've got to deal with our own workload.
1: That's it for this episode. All links and recommendations we talked about are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast if you found it useful. In the meantime, thanks for listening and see you next time.